episode of that podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And what's the word this week, Bo? Well, I think this is our first recording in January, uh, in January 2017, correct? It is, yes. We recorded just before Christmas, didn't we? And then uh, mm-hmm. we've been busy doing family things, really, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, we did the uh, we did that uh, Star Wars mini episode that I, I didn't really publicize that that much, but it was something out there that people could, could listen to. So if anyone was bored over the, the holidays, there was a little bit of something to get from us, even if it wasn't necessarily super technology related. Yeah, and then we recorded another episode, which I'm still editing now. Mm. But I could probably get out tomorrow at some point. So, uh, what what's the date today? We, we're on the 11th now, so that might come out on the 12th, uh, and then this will probably follow a week later. Nice. Cool. Sounds good. How's your new year been going so far? Uh, slow and steady. Uh, nothing, nothing too interesting, nothing too strenuous uh you know um i I spoke to spoke to someone earlier and they said they they had uh, had a a significant pay rise like a 40 percent pay rise which is wow yeah and uh and their partner was uh starting a new job as well so that's a cracking start to uh 2017 for them yeah that's awesome yeah yeah i've not i've not done anything so (laughs) Yeah. yeah how about you um, our our year's been pretty great so far. We we spent a lot we spent a lot of time doing family things over the holidays. Um, so that was pretty nice. And school is different over here than it is in the UK. So we we get a uh, we only get like a week off for maybe it was a week and a half off for Christmas holiday, and that's like one of the big breaks that we get. Uh, of course, we get like two or three months solid off during the summer, which is which is nice, but. Um, we didn't get as much time, so we didn't get to go see my family, but we spent a lot of time with Beck's family, which was cool. Uh, Luke has a lot of cousins on that side, so uh, he got to play with them a whole lot. And it's been really cold and lots of snow here. So there was, uh, I believe there was a, a snow cave dug at Grandpa and Grandma's house, which was pretty cool. <laughs> um, I don't know if it went all the way through, but definitely uh, the kids' legs would disappear. Like they could actually crawl into the hole far enough that you couldn't see them anymore, which was kind of fun but also kind of scary <laughs> yeah definitely yeah yeah we were talking the other day on irc about uh what did you say it was minus 20 there or something yeah uh, um it was minus 20 which i think was minus 29 not celsius. Uh, celsius yeah so yeah it was quite cold um i was i was laughing with someone yesterday when we were talking about weather and i had seen someone on twitter say that it was 15 degrees Fahrenheit, so schools were closed. <laughs> and I was like, um, it gets below zero, and the kids just don't go out for recess anymore here, <laughs> you know, in Madison. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see the different ways that different regions handle different levels of uh, temperature variance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, uh, we had a few weeks off uh, with school. It was actually, yeah, it was... It was close to three weeks because they uh, they broke off at least a week before Christmas, uh, which was pretty nice actually. Um, I worked quite a lot that week, um, but got a couple of days off uh, towards the end of the week. And well, I won't say a couple of days off, but I I, I did limited work for those days, uh, doing family stuff and things leading up to Christmas. That was really nice. Cool. And then I worked in between Christmas and New Year, New Year, but again, kind of like maybe a little bit lackadaisical about it. Uh, yeah, I did do I didn't. St- 
sweat it too much. Uh, but then got back into things after the new year. So yeah, yeah, it was similar for me as well. There there were a couple of days that you know I just checked in for a little bit and got a little bit of work done. Um, didn't stress out about it too much, which was pretty pretty nice to have that flexibility. So that was pretty cool. Oh, there was one thing actually. Um, we, uh, we we provide insurance policies for our premium members on the site, and mm-hmm. um, the policies run like January first to January first. So, and we're having this year's policies are all underwritten by different people. So, I had to sort of like prepare that for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, and we sort of like finalised the deal like the two days before Christmas or something. So. That had to be done in time for January, but when so I, I was quite busy with that. But then I I, I took it easy after that because mm-hmm. there was no nothing urgent. So, did you run into any of the the leap second problems? I didn't know. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. I didn't see any of that. I've seen a lot of people talking about various issues that they had with it, but I personally didn't have to deal with it, which was pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, I actually sort of like I saw a few people talk about the like I saw a few links on some sites, and mm-hmm. for a second I was actually thinking, oh, that sounds quite interesting. As to I, you know, I was intrigued to what they might have been doing for it to have an effect, mm-hmm. uh, but then I just changed my mind. I didn't bother clicking and reading. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if it doesn't bother you or if it didn't have some sort of impact on you, it's probably okay to to not understand it. But it was still uh, – it looked like it might have been an interesting problem to try to try to solve. And definitely it looked like a bunch of people in the industry uh, hadn't looked at it previously. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll include some show links on that. I think Google – Google published a, a document describing how they sol- solved the problem in advance. Um, a lot of stuff with, uh, I think it was, I think they call it stretching, time stretching, like right. um, to ensure that over the course of, I think this year it was eight hours, but in future years they're going to try and do it over the course of like twenty four hours to split that time out. Um, so, but yeah, as far as people who actually have like who what, what kind of users have that sort of impacted i guess it would be hard to tell um i know that one of the, the uh, teams that i've worked with in the past i think they got a bunch of notifications for about 16 minutes like something fell over uh but then it just resolved itself um so that i don't think they had to do anything to fix it it's just that over that period of time stuff just looked like it was broken uh for a handful of requests um that yeah. they you know they had to look at and say oh yeah well, there's nothing we could have done with that um yeah I don't know, that was one of those things that we don't, I don't usually think about. Um, reminds me of like the early, you know, 2000, uh, year 2000 bugs, Y2K. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, that was so funny for me. I, I mean, it reminds <laughs> you of the bugs, but I mean, compared to the, like the, the, the stress and the, and the talk of what might happen, mm-hmm. it was a com- Nothing really happened, did it? Really? Yeah, nothing really happened. There were a few problems. Yeah, doing wrong, but like mm-hmm. it was to- the way it was talked about beforehand. Like it was a- apocalyptic, wasn't it? Is what? Yeah. What people? Uh, yeah, we were going through. Um, I was working for a local ISP in the Bay Area at the time, and we were going through due diligence uh, to be purchased by an East Coast bigger ISP, and we had to do a lot of work to uh, at least look at and figure out if we were going to have some sort of problems with Y2K because that was like built into the contract at the point at that point in time because it was a big deal for everybody. So, yeah, that, I think there was a whole Simpsons episode dedicated to Y2K, which is still fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. That's- Sounds cool. Yeah. 
So you mentioned then uh, due diligence. Uh, did you see uh, Trello got bought this week? Yeah, I did. Wired by Atl- is it Atlassian? That's how you, is that how you pronounce? Yep, I think so. Atlassian or Atlassian? I'm not really sure. Yeah, but, but Atl- yeah. yeah, it's roughly about right. Yeah. The funny thing was that day earlier, I could swear someone had tweeted something that Trello had been bought by Fog Buzz. And I, I'm guessing that must have been like a joke or something, and I, I didn't really pay attention to it. And then later I saw, I think it was Product Hunt email saying that Trello had been bought by Atlassian. I was like, wait, Atlassian? Is that who it was? Because I, I could swear it was Fog Buzz. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that was, yeah. Well, that was like, so I don't know. Fog Creek, Trello split out from Fog Creek, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I might be saying it wrong. Maybe it was Fog yeah, Creek. Like, yeah. So yeah, but four hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Um, I, I know that's just in, incredible. Um, it's great. Uh, it's great for the fog. Uh, fog Creek. I'm saying Fog Creek now, but it's great for the Trello yeah. people. Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's an incredible amount of money. Uh, most of it was cash as well, and then some shares and options and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think they had they had an investment of ten million, uh, like four years ago, or. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, what? That's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Alazine are going to do with it. Um, it. I mean, they all they always say like, I mean, all the staff have gone with it and, and things like that. But they always say the quite often they say they're going to try and keep it together and they're going to keep it as it like keep the spirit of Trello. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't last long, does it? Not when you spend yeah. four hundred million on it. Um, so yeah we'll see how long because I use Trello every day still I, I really yeah. um, I'm a huge fan of Trello so it it is it is a little bittersweet especially given how these things have gone in the past like you're saying um, I think even like, I, I still think about Sparrow was my favorite Mac mail client that got bought by Google yeah. to go work on the Gmail team and there's there's nothing there. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that I've seen um, brought over from the ideas or concepts that made Sparrow awesome to anything related to Google, as far as I can tell. Um, I haven't used the newest uh, Gmail for iOS, so maybe there's something there. But or I think maybe they did some work on like Inbox. But I really liked having a really nice UX on a native mail client. And they just took it and went with it and went all went away. <laughs> Happens time and time again. I can't see Trello disappearing. Um, it's too big for that. But it, what might happen in terms of, you know, I mean, Atlassian, I mean, the pricing for some of the stuff is pretty big, isn't it? It's, it's mm-hmm. sort of the full enterprise market and... You know, um, I mean, I don't, I don't pay for Trello at the minute, but to be honest, mm-hmm. I, should, I should probably pay for it. Uh, yeah, just because I, I chances are you will soon. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, to be honest, I was thinking about this the other day. There's quite a lot of tools I wouldn't mind paying for if I could do it in one like lump sum. Like if there was some mm-hmm. sort of if there was some sort of like you know, like humble bundle for all the um, sort of software as a service tools that I love and use and I could just say and they told me it was £500 a year mm-hmm. right? and I just have to pay that one amount there and then I'm not managing seven different subscriptions and putting all yeah. the voices into the accounting and keeping my credit card up to date on all the different places and you know, do you see what I mean like because it, mm-hmm. it's just subscriptions everywhere and it's sort of, yeah. uh, just annoys me 
you know, I was talking with Beck earlier today about software, maybe it was yesterday. And, you know, we were, we're throwing around the idea of a simple, simple application that she has an idea for that, you know, I'm thinking would make a good software as a service sort of thing, but she doesn't want it. She, she wouldn't want to pay, you know, a monthly service like for herself. She wouldn't want to pay monthly to have this service. She'd rather pay for it up front and just buy it. Um, sort of like the, uh, I guess, uh, uh, PHP storm and it's all jet brains, right? That's all of that stuff, um, is subscription based. Now you can still buy a license or you can buy a subscription. Um, I think Adobe was the first big company that I saw did that, that they went from, you know, having to spend, you know, two or $3,000 on Photoshop to spending, you know, $80 a month on Photoshop, (laughs) Uh, which is actually going to be a better deal for you. Well, she doesn't, she sees more value in being able to buy something up front and know you own it and you can use it for as long as you need to. And then upgrade when you're ready versus, getting to upgrade as you go, but having to pay for it every month. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing when I look at all of the different services that I'm using too. Um, and yeah, the credit card go expire. You switch your credit card. It is a pain to go to every single one. Um, like right now, I think I have, like, I usually have all of my payments on one credit card and I started switching them to another and then I'm switching them to another. So now it's across three credit cards <laughs> and, um, it's a, it's a pain. So I, I'm not going to go in now and switch where Dropbox goes because, you know, it's getting paid for just fine. It doesn't really need to go to this other credit card. Yeah, management of those sorts of things is really a big pain. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, um, I pay for like a, pa- a monthly pass for my groceries to be delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got a really good deal on that because they were trying to, it was like a loss leader for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my credit card, the, the, the card I'd used, I think uh, Rebecca lost it. Um, so I had to cancel it, mm-hmm. as you do. Um, but for whatever reason, the uh, email notified me that 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 subscription, had, that purchase had failed, ended mm-hmm. up in spam. Mm-hmm. So, of course, next time I actually went to use it, I was like, why Why is it trying to charge me for this? I couldn't understand it. And it, it just failed and expired. And I had to pay, I'm paying uh, more than double what I was before. I'm like, mm. How annoying. Yeah. Because, but then they're everywhere. These little things, these little charges, there are mm-hmm. so many of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on those lines, the, the, the other part of the discussion that we, we had was well, if you aren't going to pay monthly for this app we're talking about, what would you pay up front? Like, if it was on the, like, like how much would you pay for it just to have it? And she's like, oh, I don't know, $1.99 or 99 cents or maybe two ninety nine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, where are you? We slash us slash you are not going to make any money selling, you know, uh, an app for two ninety nine, and that's the, the the whole lifetime value of that user, you know. Um, and you know, it's it's interesting because I've seen the uh, a bunch of people talking about that over the the last few years, especially with like the the App Store stuff. And we just had the the ten year anniversary for iPhone, um, and sort of how that really, in a lot of ways, helped contribute to people undervaluing software. Um, so everything's either free with ads or it's got to be 99 cents or $1.99. Otherwise, it's too expensive. And I don't know how these shops do it. I mean, you can make it up in volume, but volume is really hard, especially if you're giving 30% back to Apple on the 99 cent app. I just, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, I think they just do it on volume, don't they? And mm-hmm. the problem is, the problem I saw is that uh, 
people go on Hacker News and see like the one unicorn indie developer who sells thirty thousand apps, copies yeah. of his ninety nine cent app a month. Mm-hmm. So they go in, but then because of the ninety nine cent version, it's like they've got to try and compete, and they can't. You know, so. yeah. Yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know if that's something that's eventually going to normalize. Um, I've started to see more higher value apps that I've been interested in getting that are closer to, you know, $10 or $20. Um, But I think those have always been there. I think, like, early on, I think the limit for the most expensive app you could put in the store was like either 99 or 199 and I think there was like a law course or something that you could get that they they put it at whatever the highest value they possibly could um, but those are still pretty rare to, to see those yeah, I don't know I rarely browse the app store I don't have the need for any apps on my phone Mm-hmm. Other than the ones I have, I, yeah, I don't necessarily browse the app store. Like, if I see an app that looks interesting, or if I have a need for an app, I'll I'll probably Google it or ask on Twitter who who solves this problem on their phone or which app solves this problem for people, and then I'll go into the app store. But yeah, you're right. I don't browse the app store by itself. Sorry, I, I mean browse the app store is probably even. I, I didn't even mean it quite like. Mm, that. Mm-hmm. I rarely have the need for any kind of app on my phone. Mm. You know, once I've got a podcasting app, and what else do I use? Uh, Two Factor Roth. Got that. Um, all the shopping apps, but I don't really consider those applications not software applications. They are front ends to all the services I use online. You know, mm-hmm. so it, they're completely different because the the there isn't any intrinsic value in the app itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it, Amazon are quite happy to give their app away for free because it, the, you know, you're going to go buy their stuff. Yep. Uh, uh, so yeah, and, and I really have. I imagine that's the same for your app, right? For your childcare app, I'm sure it's the same. You don't have to charge for that. Yeah, it's a value add for your users. We're providing a native front end to our mm-hmm. our platform. Um, one of the nice things for us is the frictionless uh, purchasing for the upgrades. Even if we have to pay that 30, horrible 30% to Apple and Google Play. Um, yeah. But it's so, it, the, the experience is lovely in mm-hmm. terms of upgrading and paying as our subscription. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a Voodoo on our iOS devices. It's the... Um ultraviolet provider uh they they let you rent and buy movies and if you uh enter the digital code in from your purchase dvd or blu-ray it adds it to your collection and then it's a part of the ultraviolet collection i don't know if, i don't know if that's the same in in uk or europe if they have the same the same exact company um doing it or the same exact thing um but the the Voodoo store, um, uh, I got an email from Voodoo over the holidays that they had a massive sale on. And at the time, I wasn't by my laptop because I was at my grand, uh, not grandparents, my um, Luke's grandparents, uh, Beck's, Beck's parents, and they don't have proper internet there. Uh, so I went on my, my phone. I had the Voodoo app. I logged in, looked for what I wanted, um, and then I tried to buy it or clicked a button that I thought was going to buy it. And I said, we don't. You can't buy it here, <laughs> basically, because they didn't want to have to give any of the 30% to Apple. And I'm like, well, this is now I have to jump out, log into the same exact UI, basically, in Safari just so that I could buy this thing. It's kind of ridiculous, um, that, that whole thing. 
but then it, you say it's ridiculous. You'd also say it was ridiculous if Voodoo put thirty percent on the price in the app version, wouldn't you? Yeah, because no, no one else charges thirty percent. We, we can barely manage it mm-hmm. with our because um, one of the options now our, our sort of normal rate is um, it's now twenty four pounds a month. Mm-hmm. And we only offer monthly or annual subscriptions on the site, mm-hmm. but on the app we allow like a, a one week purchase nine ninety nine. Now you take VAT off that value added tax, that's twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Then you take Apple's cut, that's thirty percent. That's half of the money is gone. And yeah, our margins are pretty l- slim around that. Mm-hmm. Now the other people literally cannot manage. You know, there's no way the margins on mm-hmm. you know uh, films that you're going to stream yep. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on your is it a Voodoo account? Yeah, yeah. Just can't. It's not sustainable. Or mm-hmm. The thirty percent cut going to Apple. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm just getting at the point that. Yeah, it's it's frustrating that that whole process was there all the way up to the point where I actually could want to buy it. And then they're like, yeah, you can't do that. And if I hadn't known, like I I immediately realized, okay, this is because they don't want to give Apple, you know, 30% of this. I don't even know if they're allowed to tell people what they can do. Or I think it basically said you have to do this from your computer. Yeah. Um, There's rules about it. um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we weren't allowed to. So in the App Store, our app has been named Childcare UK with, because we weren't allowed mm-hmm. to have a domain in there because it was. They I, Apple said that they could then go to the website and upgrade on the website. We weren't allowed mm-hmm. to have a, mm-hmm. a domain in our help text or something. All these weird things and rules. Mm-hmm. They've made them a little bit loose mm-hmm. now. Like we're allowed to have our domain name in the name of the app I think um, but yeah it's because mm. our biggest competitor they have a Android and iOS apps but basically they're just web views of the responsive site and mm-hmm. it looks pretty shoddy to be honest most of the time but on Android their purchase like flow works as normal in a web view and I didn't think they were allowed mm-hmm. to do that but mm-hmm. on Android they've got away with it so they're not paying the 30% to Google for anybody who upgrades hmm. on Android. But in iOS, it's the same thing. So just a web view of their responsive site. But whenever you try to go to the the uh, checkout URL, I know you're not going to the URL, but you know, following mm-hmm. that path, it just shows yeah. like mm-hmm. this like gray screen with, you can't do that. Literally just... Mm-hmm. just <laughs> it's not even <laughs> screen or yeah. anything. It's just like something... Ha- Apple have said, no, you literally... They can't do that, you know. So they've put something. They've had to put something there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why you can't purchase. So when you, if you go to on the Amazon app and search for a digital video, you know, to I don't Mm -hmm. think you can purchase digital videos on the Amazon app that's in the app stores. Mm -hmm. They encourage you to go and download the Amazon app store version of the Amazon app. If that makes sense, because if you Mm -hmm. do that, Mm -hmm. then you can purchase. You, yeah. you know, you're side loading the app effectively, so you're bypassing the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think Amazon soak it up on Kindle books. You know, thirty um, percent they might do. I think, hmm. and it's really frustrating for things like Uber. So Uber don't have to pay that thirty percent because they're not delivering mm-hmm. digital content or or something. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have some tech things. Shoot, go. A couple of tech things. Um, 
I've been paying a little more attention to the Symphony um, Symphony repository, and I saw I think it was last night um, Fabian released the the PR for adding a environment component to Symphony. Did you see that? Yeah, it's basically .env um, support for .env. Um, it's a PR two one two three four, which is an awesome PR number. <laughs> yeah, two one two three four. But it looked it looked kind of interesting it, uh, in his documentation or on the PR. Um, he hit most of the things that immediately popped my mind, which was. Um, why not just use something already there? Because <laughs> uh, I know there's at least, I think it's a vlucas.env is the one that I've seen probably the most, but I, I know that there's other implementations. Uh, but his, his goal was to uh, ensure that the parsing was 100% bash compatible yeah. so that you could uh, expect to be able to basically source the .env file and then see if, or, and then it would do the same thing as if you were loading it locally uh, by reading the file with PHP. So I don't know, it's kind of interesting. I, I haven't seen the birth of a component that quickly before. That quickly being like me actually seeing it tweeted that this is this PR is going to add this component. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun. Um, I got to jump in on that. Um, and the, um, the, I think the other big component that that came out that I just sort of glossed over was the workflow component. Have you looked into that at all? I haven't. I've seen a few bits and bobs as it's been coming around, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I want to try and catch a talk on that sometime so that I can see it a little bit better in action. Because uh, I think I sort of have an idea of what it's going to be. But anyway, so that, as far as like new components, those are the, the two big ones that I knew. I think earlier on there'd been the uh, expression expression language that came out. I think it was one of the other ones, but that was like several years yeah, ago. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then the other PR that I've been taking a look at was on getter injection. Yeah. No, I saw that mentioned in a PR. I saw, I mm-hmm. saw your PR yesterday because a, a PR to remove the app bundle. Uh, mm-hmm. And it mentioned getter injection. And I didn't understand what they were trying to say. <laughs> what What's getter injection? <laughs> uh, so getter injection is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Um and I, I need to look at it in more detail because I, I don't like it. Like, just off the surface, it seems like completely opposite what anybody within the Symphony community is normally about um, because it adds this really weird layer of indirection. And the PR for that one is 20973. Um, and it is uh, essentially an abstract class where you define... A getter with no body, so an abstract getter body, um, and then via the configuration, either with annotations or um, YAML or XML, you define that the getter should return a specific implementation. So, if you say have a um, banana factory, okay. say you could have get banana factory defined as an abstract method with a return type of banana factory. And I think that's one of the requirements right now is it has to be PHP seven return types um, that then the container could be configured that when that object is created, it will give it a specific implementation of banana factory and it uses uh, proxies and lazy loading and all the, that, those bells and whistles so that you can do get banana factory and it will inject that 
via the getter. Right, okay. I think I need to see an example of this. <laughs> I, I, I think I do too. And uh, I was pointed at the fixtures, and the fixtures were interesting, but not necessarily something that was easy to, to pull apart. Um, but what I, I think this is supposed to be an alternative to passing in the container um, so that you can still have optional dependencies on large controller classes. Um, so you, instead of passing in the container and the constructor or doing some sort of setter injection, you can specify where, because setter injection, I believe that the con on that, at least listed on the PR, is that that's not guaranteed to be there. In, by the time it's called um, and it can also change over the course of, of lifetime um, the getter injection uh, the idea behind it is that if the container is controlling uh, fulfilling that contract that it can ensure that you're always getting the same object and that it won't change over time so you can't get a banana factory and then get another banana factory in a different state assigned to it right, I see where we're going this now I think I understand yes mm-hmm. yeah what I don't like about it necessarily is that, at least on the surface, it seems like you have uh, you've added the container as a dependency in, e- in an even more concrete way because you can't instantiate this object at all as it is. You have to either mock it or you have to uh, uh, instantiate it with as an anonymous class that extends it and then fulfill all of the contracts. So it feels really dirty, um, but I'm trying to be a little open-minded on it because it sounds like there's a couple of people who are really excited about it um, as being a way to get away from having to inject the container into the controllers. So if you're looking at the controllers already as, well, we were using them for surface location, maybe this is a step up from that, (laughs) Um, where you're requiring people to do surface location, and now you're doing something that maybe is a little less dirty. I don't know. I, I still think that constructor injection and smaller controllers that only have one action in them solves a lot of, of a lot of those problems but if you're still doing maybe longer controllers with several actions where you might have different dependencies depending on the actual action that's executed this might be a, a middle ground between having to use full-on service locator by injecting the container i think i think that's where it's going or where it's coming from rather yeah. I, I think i'll need to read the, the pr and hopefully someone me some mm-hmm. great examples of uh, of, uh, of where they'd use it and uh, what for. So, was yeah, it? yeah. I was looking. I was looking for the um, uh, prior art on this uh, because you know Symphony is heavily influenced by Springs Container, um, and it, I don't think they have Getter Injection. And the the things that I found looking up, and I think Nicholas, uh, the person who uh, started this this particular implementation for this functionality, forwarded me to like a, a blog post that someone had written up an example of doing this, and it kind of talked about the the reasons that it might be um, good or the, the problem problems it solves really um and then i found one other like like mailing list thread so it doesn't look like this is something that people do a lot and it doesn't look like it's or if they do it they call it something different so I th- it sounded like there were some other frameworks and other languages that might do something similar um but it wasn't they weren't called this or there was no like easy way to map it to exactly what how php would work for example yeah weird yeah, so it's it's pretty cool to see the Symphony community trying to go down these DX routes to try and 
and help with some of these problems that people have sort of had with Symphony, you know, with controllers with the dependency injection and that sort of thing, um, or the, the service locator rather. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, I, I, it's cool to see. Like I said, I mentioned in, uh, innovating a little bit. That's cool. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. You're speaking yeah. of the, uh, the DI and stuff, I, 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 last night I was... One, one of the weird things for me is I'm still rocking Silex for our app. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't have the luxury of... Maybe I could have at some point written it in Symfony, but, you know, I, I inherited a, a, a plain old PHP app, you know, with script script files and yeah. document root and all that stuff. And I slowly moved over to Silex because it allowed me to work. I, well, I was already using Pimple um, for a container to allow me to fetch things around, move things around, and stuff like that. So Silex was a, an easy transition for me there. And um, one of the things Silex uh, from one to two is quite a quite a significant change in terms of the dependency injection container. Uh, Pimple needs lots of stuff changing because of the way they've changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changes the default way between things being like a shared uh, instance of something yeah. and a factory sort of prototype based. And if I do a count on the keys in my Pimple container now, there is over 500 uh, things in there, which is quite a lot. Um, and not all mm-hmm. there'll be some values in there as well, I'm sure, but there's, there's a lot. And yeah. sort of rewriting those was sort of sounds fairly daunting. Um, even though it shouldn't be too difficult, I don't think. But. Um, but everyone seems to be yourself included raving about auto wiring in the old containers and <laughs> I've been putting it off for a while I, I wrote a trait for Pimple over three years ago I, I looked it up on uh, it's in a gist somewhere and I wrote mm-hmm. it, tried it out and decided not to bother it was just it didn't seem to bring me enough advantages of a uh, just writing the service defi- definitions but mm-hmm. I thought I'd give it a go and I started deleting service definitions but what I, well, actually what I did was I'd break a service definition run the tests to make sure I was covering, covering it somewhere mm-hmm. if I saw failure then I could delete the definition altogether and see if it ran okay and it, mm-hmm. it did and I started deleting some and it felt good for a while but then once I'd got rid of all the, the low hanging fruit it started to get a bit more Ropey and say like, and I think this is the things where uh, Laravel and and Symphony probably as well with their new stuff is like they have things like half auto wired, half configured, um, mm-hmm. and I was starting to look at that and I was thinking it just doesn't seem to be any point to that to me. It's like if I'm going to have to tell it which ver- which type of this to give it, I may as well just give it the whole like uh, definition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of halfway and I'm sat on the fence on that right now. It'd be nice to cut down on loads of the services if I can uh, and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the things that I got asked at the end of the Symphony Con talk that I gave on auto wiring was if you get into those positions where it's like, I can't do it anymore, what's the point? Um, you know, the idea is that the idea with auto wiring isn't to auto wire everything. It's 
you know, you break out of the auto wiring and manually configure it yourself if you need to. If auto wiring doesn't work for that particular service, then don't use it. <laughs> um, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. What you did was remove the low, low hanging fruit, the stuff that could easily be done. And then the configuration or the container configuration at that point really is just the things that that need to be done by hand, you know, probably adding passing configuration values to like the DBL constructor, for example, that's something that auto wiring doesn't really handle or the auto wiring, like even within Laravel with the, um, uh, the, uh, primitive binding that they do for that, the auto wired version ends up being longer than the service definition would have been. I, I looked at a couple of examples and that, like the contextual binding looks quite cool with the builder and stuff, but then it, mm-hmm. there was more lines of that than most of my service definitions. And yeah. I, um, yeah. So it's, it's nice that they're there. And, and in certain cases, I think it makes sense to do that if you're building something that is meant to be generic, like open source libraries or whatever. But if you're just building it yourself like you are, it totally makes sense just to leave that service defined that way. I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's, is that something that you have published or is it something you're just using internally for now? Internally. I mean, to be honest, it's, uh, it's quite bespoke anyway at the minute. So, uh, I mean, things mm-hmm. like, um, like I have uh, repositories for all my doctrine entities type hinted everywhere for things and mm-hmm. of course they're not uh, well I'm, I'm probably the auto wiring might work for them but I prefer to if I need one of those to ask the entity manager for the repository as you normally would with doctrine um, mm-hmm. so yeah so I have it doing things like that so it recognises if it's a if it's a doctrine repository then it'll actually ask mm-hmm. doctrine for it rather than trying to make it itself yeah create it so that that's yeah. that's kind of a very bespoke to what i'm to my application so it's uh it, it's, it's 60 lines of code or something it's something it's not something that someone couldn't write and of course there's no error handling or yeah <laughs> or anything yeah. like that mm-hmm. that makes sense the, the um the 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 last thing that i wanted to mention was some uh, some help that i got from someone recently um that uh, I've been using Spark to work on a couple of applications. I think we've talked about some of those. Did we talk about the GitHub style teams? We did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the th- I finally got more deep, deeper. I got deeper into that now and started to realize that uh, there's one thing that I don't understand within Laravel is people will sometimes define the magic methods to treat things as if they're a property when they're not really a property. Um, and I don't know when they do that versus when they don't. <laughs> like, wh- why couldn't that have just been a, a, a function call versus pretending like it's a, a variable that's defined? Um, and the this particular property was the current team. And the current team actually looks in the database to see what the current team is and then sets it if it's not set already. So calling current team on user didn't care about the, the GitHub style um, GitHub style teams where you'd get the team, the current team basically from the URL. Um, and I couldn't find any docs on the, the, the Laravel side or on the Spark side to really talk about how to do that correctly. Um, I didn't know if it, if, I, if it was built into Spark, basically. I figured it might be that you can do auth colon colon user to get the current user. I thought maybe there'd be something where you could get the team uh, for GitHub style teams, but it turns out there wasn't. Um, I knew that there was route binding. Uh, route binding, I think, is similar to the parameter configurators. Or what is it when you can specify like account 
on the URI and it becomes a parameter and you can actually turn that into an actual account object. Yeah, parameter converter. So it's similar to that, except in Laravel, it's called route binding. Um, so I, I knew I could probably do it that way, but I didn't want to go through that process if I was circumventing a bunch of other stuff that had already been written. Um, so I kind of like use that as an excuse not to work on that project and just tweet about it, <laughs> uh, which, which happens uh, more often than I'd like to admit. Uh, but I finally got some help. Um, it was actually from the Laravel Slack channel or Laravel Slack team. Uh, someone set that up. I don't know if it's actually managed by Taylor or anything uh, but someone uh, I asked in the the spark channel and I got a private message from Michael heap um, and, and he'd actually blogged about it about doing exactly this and you know he all I really wanted was confirmation as to whether or not I needed to do it myself uh, so he was able to provide that by basically saying it's, it's not there at all and then he had like at least two I think there were two middleware and a couple of other things that he had to add to get it to work so um, so I was, I was really happy to get that, that someone actually blogged about this already and gave me basically the solution I need to unstick me to go to the next part of that project. So uh, I wanted to thank Michael for that. So thanks, Michael. Yeah. Nice guy, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We're on 40-odd minutes. Have I got anything interesting to say? Oh, no. I don't have anything that can't wait until next time, so I think we can keep it short again. Yep, I should uh, go speak to the wife. <laughs> Did you guys get through um, yes. Westworld yet? We finished, we, we finished that quite quickly, actually, after we last spoke. I really, I re- yeah, I figured that would happen. <laughs> um, we're, we're watching uh, Bosch now on Amazon Prime Video. Um, I really like it just because I kind of like detective type stuff and it's a bit mm-hmm. got a bit of buddy cop in it a little bit of dirty Harry it's kind of cool mm-hmm. but also uh, we've just yeah. uh, we've started um, co-reading uh, Wheel of Time together um, oh so okay it, it, it's weird um, we, we've read a few fantasy series together like um, but usually this one of us has been like several chapters if not a whole book ahead of the other person so he could still kind of chat mm-hmm. about it, but it was clear who knew the most. Uh, whereas the minute we're kind of like, what chapter mm-hmm. do you want? Ten. <laughs> Ten then, then it's like, what what location are you on the Kindle uh, thing, which is some thousand of number, you know what I mean? Or how many minutes have you got <laughs> yeah. in the chapter to work out who knows the most so that we can tread carefully and not spoil anything. Uh, but yeah, so... Nice. Uh, well, that's cool. We've both... It's taken maybe six, seven chapters to get into that, but I'm really enjoying it now. And, mm. and kind of like, mm. I want to finish watching the TV series we were watching, but we also kind of want to read our books as well, so... Yeah. Mm. You read anything? Cool. You don't read as much, yeah. do you? No, I don't. And my the the habit I get into is I'll end up reading stuff I've already read again because I enjoy it. So I um I haven't actually like picked up anything new in a while. So I, I'm pretty obsessive now. Um, so mm-hmm. I just finished reading uh, one of the ones related to the Malazan Book of the Fall and. Um, mm-hmm. And then Rebecca was eager mm-hmm. to get onto this wheel of time, so uh, we've got ten, ten. There's more than ten in there. Thirteen books in this, I think, to read. So that'll probably see me out the rest wow. of the year. Uh, I can do a two month, yeah. good month. So nice. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca and I have been trying to do a new schedule to try and keep us. Uh, 
basically on task throughout the throughout the day throughout the week so uh that's something that we both could probably stand to do more is reading uh, it's really easy to get caught watching tv shows at the end of the day and watch one extra or two extra than you'd plan to so she, currently she has been hooked on vikings have you seen vikings a couple of episodes uh but i i, I it's one of those where i thought well maybe i should watch this with rebecca and then uh-huh. never but never picked it back up uh so yeah it's pretty good. We've we've been enjoying that a lot. So that's been her thing as she's been watching watching those, and I get sucked into them. And I want to go to bed at a decent hour. Next thing I know, I've let her talk me into watching two more, and she'll hate that. She'll hate hearing that. <laughs> but that's usually what happens. So um, yeah, so that's been our that's been our thing lately. We might have to switch that up and do some reading of something interesting, either you know, actual history or you know some fiction or something well, so I, I i always read before i go to sleep so even if we watch tv i'll mm-hmm. an hour half an hour of reading and before bed so mm-hmm. i find it so yeah usually settles me down uh, but last night i read some it was quite a tense chapter um it was, it was really well written and it, it felt tense and you know uh, suspense mm-hmm. suspense was good and stuff like that which didn't settle me down at all but hey ho Right then, I'll, uh, I'll get off and yeah. speak soon. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, cool. All right, call it a wrap. You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. Yeah.